0: In this conversation, we will be focusing on the importance of educating students on the topic of media literacy and critical media literacy skills, and how we can better prepare students to navigate the complex world of misinformation, disinformation, and media manipulation. We'll discuss practical, real-world strategies for teachers and whole-school frameworks to help educate students in critical media literacy skills, and how to integrate media literacy into the curriculum. We'll also consider how teaching critical thinking skills and source evaluation empowers students to combat falsehoods and explore the role of schools, teachers and parents in fostering responsible digital citizenship. So thank you everyone for for joining this discussion. Really looking forward to it. Um, If we can do a quick round of introductions, that would be great. Um, Rianne, do you want to go first, please?
1: Yeah, hello, my name is Rianne Webb. I'm a professional development expert with Britannica Education. And I've been with the company since January this year. Before that, I was working in academia. I was a university lecturer. So I've made the jump from academia into the commercial realm of digital publishing. And my role really is to um, identify professional development courses for educators around the globe and build these courses and create them um, to meet the specific needs of our customers. So that's what I do In a nutshell.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Ryan having... Mike, Johnston, go
1: next. Yeah,
2: absolutely. My name is uh, Mike Johnston. I'm the Assistant Head of School at Frankfurt International School. Uh, I've been in international schools for 24 years in different capacities, and uh, this has been an area of both my work and passion for a long time, so I'm really excited to be in the conversation. Excellent. Melanie, let's go next.
3: Hi, my name is Melanie Grudera. I've been working in Dubai since 2005. I came over to work at a school to head up the first uh, GCSE and A-level Media and Film Studies courses in the UAE. Um, I currently work at Jess Dubai, which is a not-for-profit organization, um, and we have three schools uh, we've got two primaries and one secondary. I work in secondary. I've been teaching English for the last nine years, so I kind of ventured back into my degree subject. But this year, I've started an international btech at level three on Creative Media.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Melanie. And John? Hi, my name is John Micton,
4: I'm the primary technology for learning coordinator at the International School of Geneva, and in addition, I'm a trainer and course designer at the Principal Training Center, and uh, I've spent quite a few years in education media technology, having worked in schools across Africa, Asia, and Europe as an IT director, deputy principal, and director of e-learning, and it's a real privilege to be here on this, what I find such a timely conversation. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everyone. Great to have everyone on the call. Um, Yeah. So, John, you're going to kick us off with the the first question, uh, which is, it has been said that we're currently experiencing an infodemic. Um, So why is it crucial for students and young learners to become media literate? And what implications does this infodemic we're experiencing have for media literacy education?
4: Okay, I'm going to maybe break this up into three little sections because there's a lot there. The infodemic is kind of the idea that we all experience is this over- glut of information uh, and really fueled by algorithms. So a lot of this information is actually Uh, curated and choreographed by these algorithms, pending our behaviors and how we interact in social media platforms and our habits online. So we get a very curated experience and we get a lot of it in different uh, contexts, be it social media, on your television, on your phone. And this idea of all this information coming in and really never knowing how accurate it is, or it tends to be very much one narrative, the narrative that the algorithms feel I want to read and I want to engage with and then I miss out on this whole other narrative so you know uh, knowledge works calls us these toxic narratives In other words what we perceive as being true for one stakeholder group would be very different for another and this just really complicates the media landscape especially when you're in a school setting and you have children and young adolescents trying to come to terms with that and I think also nowadays for teachers themselves many of us have been educated in the time of uh, initial search engines, and we're really not that versed or maybe don't have as many toolkits available or that we're comfortable with to really navigate this idea of these toxic narratives of fake news or this information that we're really not clear on where to double check on it. The big issue, and you can already see in the context today, where a percentage of news that comes into our feed actually is not real news. And you hear uh, news organizations talking about how they triangulate and verify information that we're seeing on the news feeds. But the fact is sometimes they could be as mundane as gaming videos that are then sent out to represent events that are happening that actually are not connected to the gaming video. And so you've got this fake news. You've also got perspectives that often there's no fact checking. It's emotion. It's very much a, a gut reaction and people kind of supporting each other. The bottom line is for any educational institution, because what we want is our students to be critical thinkers, problem solvers, really be perceptive, really understand the importance of balance perspectives and how to really check that things are true. So when you're amplifying or sharing out, you're really giving a very level-headed, well-founded, fact-checked piece of information. And what, as this becomes more difficult, it actually impacts democratic processes. Because now opinions are so uh, separated and so toxic that actually people jump to one perspective and there's really not much consensus. There's this gap in between what you think is right and what the other person thinks right. And there are these bridges that are really lacking where people can really find an opportunity to be tolerant and open to these perceptions and perspectives and really digest that and then come to consensus on what actually is happening. So I think it has never been more important for schools to engage with it. And I think we struggle because, A, we haven't really invested in the professional development for people to understand how do algorithms work? How do news work? How can we engage and kind of fight against this personalized experience? How can we bring a broad perspective? What are the resources? we we can do. And that takes time. And if we don't give the time, then what happens is teachers are kind of falling prey to this kind of, uh, what I would say, toxic narrative. And then kids see that as a model, and then they engage with it and only amplify it more. So I can't think of a more important topic today if we believe in democratic values and voice for all kinds of marginalized groups and non-marginalized groups that were equal players in the narratives that we build about what's going around us, then media literacy should be a non-negotiable.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I couldn't agree more, um, John. And I think that's a massive part of civics education, and uh, how the so uh, democratic principles are, you know, really put into practice in the classroom. And and I think that is an important thing to bear in mind: is that when we're talking about literacy, we're also talking about why why is literacy important? Okay, so to read, to write, you know, numerical literacies. There are so many different types of literacies. And and teachers, you know, will be doing that as part of their teaching practice, you know, as part of the curriculum. But the thing is, is that media literacy, as far as I know, isn't a specific subject. Um, we have media studies and Mel will talk about that soon, I'm sure. But John, as far as you know, how does civics education, how does that actually correspond with what's going on in classrooms? Say, for example, in your school, do you call it civics education or how does media literacy actually get taught in the school that where you work?
4: I think often, you know, media literacy, the, kind of on the philosophical and ethical level, it's through a theory of knowledge. If you're in an IB school, that's a big component. You have that philosophy and that questioning. I think there's a lot of research, a lot of units of inquiry were an IB school. So a lot of units of inquiry require research. But people, and this is no disrespect to anybody, kind of bumble along. They go to Google, they might go to some library sites, but we're not really getting kids to look at a feed from TikTok or Twitter or wherever X, sorry, and at unpacking that and saying, look, this is wrong. How do we know this is wrong? What are we doing to really leverage that understanding? And how are we equipping teachers to know that, yes, the TikTok feed actually is where a big percentage of the kids might be getting their news. Uh, It might be Instagram. It might be whatever social media platform. So I really think it's almost like uh, revisiting what we think as media literacy and understanding it's exploded. And it comes at any time, anywhere. And kids are constantly getting updates. We all are. So navigating that. I think, you know, what we're seeing is schools are starting to understand that. But I think there's no real clear framework that people are working with. And a lot of people are creating some really engaging lessons. But I don't think, you know, there's a framework that we can just pull off the shelf and engage with it because it's changing so fast. And there are different organizations, media literacy organizations, et cetera, ISTE and DQ. There are a lot of organizations that provide the platform but a lot of it has to do with where do teachers have the time to make that a focus because they're competing a lot of other things math reading uh, they're just all kinds of other things but I think if we believe in these democratic processes of critical thinking problem solving and agency for multiple voices with solid perspectives then we need to give it much more airspace than we're allowed to.
0: Melanie, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on, on sort of the importance of um, young learners and students becoming media literate.
3: Well, I, I just found what John was saying, it was so interesting, and it was right along some of the lines that I was thinking. Um, for me, it, it kind of came back to what's happening in the classroom with students producing media so we don't just have consumers now we have consumer creators so i was talking to my btech class about this the other day and they they you know 25 years ago when i started teaching it was much more of a consumer um kind of media literacy whereas now you've got the students producing media and i think it's, it's often been quite an easy win in the classroom, or let's make a little film about, let's do a sound recording on this, let's do some, let's make an advert. Um, and I think um, what, what where that is an easy win, and I'll come back to that that sort of later on, what doesn't always happen is there isn't always the connection between the recognition of the impact as a media product um, rather than kind of just trying to cover curriculum. So I think it's very easy to convince students um, that something particularly these days, is is real. I think about a boy in my tutor group, he's in year nine, so he's about 13, and um, he wants to be a footballer. And I think he believes that this is going to be easier for him now than it ever was because, because of social media, it brings those those personalities those sports personalities so much closer and so he he you know we never want to squash anybody's dreams but I think he believes it even more than ever he also you know like a lot of them are they're kind of very taken in by what are essentially all the get rich quick schemes and scams that we've all had to kind of navigate but again because it's so close and it it, you know, social media can make it look so realistic and, you know, so um, kind of easy to get. It's never been more prevalent. So I think, um, you know, just recognizing the impact of the media that students are looking at and making, it's it's just, it's absolutely vital for them. And of course, that critical thinking in media literacy is is really what we we should be aiming for as well. so you know this was something that i was thinking about where does this fall in the curriculum and it's traditionally fell to ict or computer science as we we call it here now particularly at key stage 3 it's coming through increasingly in english and and having been an english teacher for quite a long time now um or gone back into teaching english i've found in the ib diploma program that the langlit course um you know it it's it's one of the integral parts of it is image analysis. So, you know, that is covered in other parts of the IB um, diploma program other than the film course that that is also part of the IB. There are also kind of the the media and film programs that are specific, um, but they're still kind of sort of a bit few and far between. um, And the research suggests that there's still kind of this very little understanding. And there is this gap between the the learning that you do um, of the media or about the media in school and its consumption and creation. Um, It's kind of 50% less time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My, Mike, it'd be great to hear, hear your thoughts on the importance of media literacy.
2: There's a lot in there of what's been discussed so far. Um, I would say I, I would echo the fact that, uh, the media creation is the key, because if we're creating media, then it comes back to, uh, it always comes back to assessment. Right. And what we're actually assessing and what we're looking for for students to do. And it makes me wonder if you look, if you look way back, we've always been asking when, as John, you were mentioning, when somebody says something, right? We've always throughout history responded with, Well, what makes you say that? You know, what evidence do you have to say that hasn't changed? It's just we're bombarded with so much more. And I find that engaging students in the way the world works for the algorithms really intrigues them. Get them in the conversation about it. Uh, A good example is, um, you know, if you're studying marketing and you're looking at uh, the ideas of perceived obsolescence and planned obsolescence, when students learn about that to say, wait, I'm getting played here by, you know, companies that are making products to break after a certain time. So I have to buy another or, I have to, they're making things that they're going to change the fashion on me and that's going to be changed shortly. So then I have to buy a a flat or a heel or whatever it might be. They love that. It's super engaging provocation. So why not do that with the media literacies? You know, in the end of the day, why do we always have to be producing these products that are products of our era when you don't have to be on TikTok to produce a TikTok as an assessment to understand what that's doing. Uh, again, that comes back to uh, the, the teachers feeling comfortable to do so and recognizing that they are a co-learner. I mean, we could spend a long time uh, around the conversation of pedagogy of what that looks like, but um, I mean, it's 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 fodder for learning. It's sensational.
1: Great, Mike. And when would you say that the way in is through inquiry-based instruction or inquiry-based learning? um to to be able to you know inquire and develop those that critical kind of mindset yeah how you you do that in your school it it depends
2: it can be it depends on the context and the age for the students i mean the inquiry spectrum is so large that uh sometimes the provocation just needs to get them into the conversation to realize how interesting the conversation is and sometimes you have students who are ready to dig deeply And so it does it depends but yeah absolutely that's a great way to do it and in the end of the day you can structure your assessments around uh looking at the media literacies but unless people know that that's important to do or how to do it which i think we'll talk about probably later in this conversation it's a bit of a non-starter thanks
0: mike um moving on to my, my second question so as media literacy is not usually taught as an academic subject at the secondary school level, um, who typically takes ownership for, for teaching media literacy and how can media literacy education be incorporated into the school's curriculum more broadly? Um, Melanie, it'd be great for you to kick off that question for us.
3: Okay. I think I, I I kind of covered a bit of that earlier as well. As I said, it kind of, it, it traditionally comes to, uh, I think uh, we expect... IT or ICT or computer science, however you refer to it in the school, um, to start that ball rolling. But I think increasingly this is something that we do in English. And I know, um, you know, aside from specific media and film programs that should be covering media literacy, and certainly we'll be talking about, would be talking about media vocabulary and um, essentially media analysis and and critical thinking about media products. Um, In English, I know that at Jess, we certainly do incorporate um, kind of critical thinking about websites, um, media products like films, television programs. Um, of course, we need to do it uh, for uh, persuasive writing. So we you know, we look at persuasive journalism as well. Very specifically, we've got um, kind of schemes of work from year seven through to year nine. Um, and it has actually been quite an interesting process over the last couple of years, because when we're thinking about, like, like Mike was saying, thinking about teachers um, trying to incorporate these things into their work, um certain teachers feel more confident to do that than others um so those teachers you know working with the teachers who are a bit less confident I think it's a really important thing to recognize that this is not something that comes easily to all teachers we are quite happy consumers but um not always the best um um creators of it or or kind of develop that much of an understanding or in fact put that much importance you know That much store by it. So, um, aside from English teaching and media teaching, at my school we have a bespoke program uh, which is tied to. Uh, our moral social and cultural education that we have to run in Dubai and all schools have to run MSC um, and we call it the think tank it is a bespoke program that I created with a colleague of mine and uh, it is it was something that was a passion project just to try and make sure that our students had um, some education in issues that happen around the world that we don't normally cover in our our curriculum. So because um, MSC and um, kind of social studies needed to be covered in our curriculum, PSHE kind of evaporated, but the think tank is still there. And we cover, um, you know, year seven through to year 13, and we cover everything from animal cruelty to political bias. But we do include media literacy topics such as uh, media bias, body image in the media and e-safety as well so even though there is I believe there's a lot of scope to cover it in in lots of different subjects we do actually have part of that as as a bespoke program at our school because we do think it's really important.
1: Um, how much time do you devote to that I mean how has how has that come about the amount of what- Very short, very
3: short. short. They're for our tutors. um, And it's covered in a tutor time at least once a week. So some tutors, um, you know, they, they will extend it across a couple of tutor times. It's short. We do link it in with some of our MSC objectives though that need to be covered. And there are specific um, objectives in uh, moral, social and cultural education that do mention media literacy and and, um, the notion that students do need to know what's good and what's bad coming at them from the internet.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Melanie. John, Mike, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on on who typically takes ownership for teaching me literacy.
2: Do Do you mind if I jump in first, John? No, not at all. I just want to say this is, I mean, it happens in educations and cycles like this. Integration of this into all of the learning is the key. So in order to get there, it's not an isolated thing. It's happening in everybody's lives, everywhere. Uh, the challenge in education to make these kinds of things a priority is we have so many competing priorities. So in the end of the day, I find that the hardest thing is not to get the resources. We have the resources. We know what to do. We know what we can do. We could get PD. We could focus on this. Um, The hardest thing is to make the to don't list. What are we going to stop doing to make time to do the things that are most topical and most important right now in this ever-changing complex world. So I, I find that to be honestly the biggest challenge. So if we if we wanted to, to really do this, because it, you know it's not typically in any particular academic area, but should be across as this prevalent skills to be learned uh, and the ethics and the values and everything that comes with it, um, what can we give up to do so?
1: Yeah. Do, do, do you have to give up anything or is there a part there with the integration of those kind of skills into into the lessons or more of an alignment? I mean, the curriculum that's at your school is the IB, is that right, Mike?
2: It's a mix. We have IB Diploma, PYP, and then Bespoke from 6 to 10.
1: So is that possible then? Do you think it is actually something that can be done at an academic level with the, the school studies? So rather than giving something up, you can try to you know, integrate more of that s- skills development into the subject, whichever that subject is?
2: Oh, I always think it's a yes end. Yeah. So it comes back to priorities. So it, it comes back to what you're willing to prioritize in order to, for example, upskill the educators to do so. But mm-hmm. there's lots of things that we want to grab for the time for, for, for professional learning and otherwise to say, no, this is more important. So what's going to make it a priority? Um and when you make these priorities, something's going to go down the list on the priorities. So that's what I mean. So what are you going to push down the list? And let's face it, when it comes to a lot of the content that a lot of skills that a lot of schools are are still teaching and learning, and some antiquated assessment practices, I'd knock that kind of stuff off the list to prioritize this.
4: One thing that we've been using is the. Uh... We're in the PYP and in the MYP is the program of inquiry. Because if you look at some, I'm just going to read some of the topics how the world works, what we are in place and time, how we express ourselves. These are things that are quite old. But when you think of today, how you express yourself and how you how the world works, then there's so many great opportunities to bring in that media literacy. So for example, we the kids are doing a whole thing on social activism, so we did lessons on hashtags. How do hashtags work? We've been doing a thing on digital tracking. How does digital tracking work? What, how do uh, tracking cookies and regular cookies, how do they differ? How come is when your mom and dad are talking about a Thai restaurant next time on your phone? And we talked about user agreements and, and you know, the, all those things. And I think it's just a matter of looking what you have and saying, listen, let's just not modernize, let's make it current. What are some current provocations and, and entry points that can really allow us to amplify this. And the kids absolutely, like Mike was saying, they absolutely love this because it's their world. They do have anecdotes. Yes, my mom talked about Indonesian food. We only have Indonesian ads. My sister bought some red shoes. And and suddenly they're starting to make those connections and they're seeing the importance, especially with digital tracking. I know a lot of the year sixes, when they engage with the whole lesson, we did a few lessons on digital tracking hashtags, and algorithms, they were like, well, why why do they get to do this? That's a great question. Let's find out, you know. So I think it's also looking at what you have and being courageous and saying, well, we don't need to throw it out, but let's look at it through a different lens. Let's look at it through the eyes of the students. Because I think so often we teach to the past. We say, okay, this is my reference point. Let's do a persuasive essay and let's stand up if in a crowd. Nobody's doing that. You put 140 characters on Twitter and X and you hope it goes. Uh, You know, I think that's where we need to start shifting is that not always thinking about our teacher's past, where we're comfortable, being uncomfortable in engaging with where they are
1: yeah and that's quite a big thing to be able to chew off i can imagine because the teacher would need to do their own research or inform themselves either through reading or watching something or receiving some training on that i would imagine or 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 is that not the case do you think the learners are also co-contributing the kind of knowledges and experiences and then between the teachers and the, the teachers and the learners they're actually beginning to form their own understanding of what's going on, especially the technical side of things. Yeah, Yeah.
4: I think a bit of both. And I think it's also, you know, I always when I'm working with teachers and they're like, well, why would we I don't know much about hashtags? Doesn't matter. But, you know, good questions and, you know, to ask those good questions and you know how to curate and ensure that the kids are asking good questions. And there is that dialogue and you're moving it forward. You know, you can go and get a YouTube video to explain hashtags in five minutes. Uh, You know, so I think it's also making sure teachers don't feel disenfranchised and saying, no, you still have a critical role in this conversation. You bring so much wisdom and expertise. Okay, the knowledge part. Well, guess what? We have YouTube. We have chat GPT. We can generate the knowledge very quickly for you to use it as a point of reference. But you know what a good lesson looks like. Uh, you know what good inquiry looks like. And I think it's really making sure teachers know they have an immense amount of expertise and value. And what can you do as a team? Okay, we'll go and quickly find out what these things are. We'll watch a couple of videos. And in some schools we have, you know, and like my role where I'm a digital coach, a lot of schools have people working with teachers to support them, the library teams and the digital coaches, and really, you know, making sure that's a co-teaching environment where teachers feel um, uh, respected and really eager to learn because things are set up in a way that it gives them also some choice and agency
3: i think that's a really interesting point that you're bringing up there with um, with kind of teacher concern about what they can what they can bring to those lessons and um we recently had some inset about some research that john hattie has done um, he's still at it <laughs> um, but uh, it it's Turns out that kind of one of the biggest the biggest barriers to learning is is uh, the teacher's own concerns about what they can manage and do. And I found myself really relating to this because having taught been back into English, being the person who knows about tech in English and putting together uh, um, kind of media style resources for English. Um, going back in uh, to teach at, at, you know, the highest level that we can have in school um, in a very practical course, um, I found myself really worrying about, really questioning my, my kind of technical skills nearly 10 years on from the last time that I taught major in film. So, you know, I've, I've kind of thrown myself back into it, but there is so much more information out there that, has helped me to kind of develop and relearn skills and learn new skills and um you know it's i think i think for teachers one of the the key thing is just key things is just to be really open-minded about it as well and um you know i'm not i'm not very good at um not I, I always want to make everything just right, and I think it is a, a real kind of product of, of my environment. Um, so uh, I think we have to accept that it's not always going to be perfect. Definitely.
2: Yeah, Max. Can I can I share an example? Of course, Mike. Yeah, um, because you know that 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 really resonates because here uh, at at FIS at Frankfurt International School, we ran PD two PD days uh, two weeks ago. And you may have seen some things floating around social media about it. But what was interesting is it was focused on artificial intelligence, global citizenship and belonging. And in the end of the day, so much of it was about these literacies and understanding your world and jumping into the technology, but with purpose to create a better world. And when we constructed the learning, we constructed the learning in a way that we had inputs from some external experts and we shared knowledge between each other but then we did a design sprint and what i'm finding uh particularly melanie when we at first there was some some hesitation of wait can i do something else on the friday cuz i don't actually understand what that's going to look like and but i have this other thing that i have to do and we we held 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 preserved 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 and uh 370 colleagues teachers non-teachers everybody was in the design sprint and you should see the 82 uh, design teams in what they were creating. And it's because they were given freedom to say, just try it. And especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, and I would say, I'd draw the parallel to, to these media literacies, just create a place to play in order to just give it a go so that they don't get the, I have to be the sage on the stage kind of feeling. And I I can't dig into this until I completely understand it. And the impact on our organization has been tremendous for people to just try it because we gave them free license to give it a go.
4: Yeah. And I think, Mike, that's the whole agency part is, you know, it's not that I was there, but you created a framework and then those design teams. But within there, there was like, you do whatever you want to do it. We're not going to tell you. So there was a loose structure and there was, of course, there was no opt out, But when you opted in, then there was a lot of space for you and your group of people to say, let's try that, try that. And I mean, if you think inquiry is basically about playing, right, is exploring. If you look at Reggio, some of the philosophies is, you know, how are we engaging in play based learning where it's it's a safe place. Actually, I, I. And somebody said, we shouldn't be saying safe places. We should say brave places. Mm. Because when you say safe, it's very dormant. You're safe and you don't do anything. Brave place means you have to action something to demonstrate bravery. And I like that idea. And this is fantastic, Uh, your anecdote. That's just very powerful.
3: I just, uh, I love the idea of the curiosity behind it. And, um, you know, there is this sense that you, you, you kind of you don't want to fail but actually um if i think about my career well all of my career i think there was there's been a lot of of kind of failing safe failure when i came over to dubai there were no other media studies teachers um i was faced with a lot of technology i'd never seen before um never laid my hands to and i just kind of spent a lot of time pressing buttons what does this do oh have i broken no i haven't broken it you know so <laughs> so i think it's it's i think we lose our sense of that, the longer we're able to do something really successfully. So we keep doing the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And then AI hits us and and we're all, you know, devastated and, and scared to death of the impact of it, but actually it's so much fun to play with. Um, but you're absolutely right, that that inquiry and, and, and play, um, I think it's very important, definitely.
4: Yeah, when you said that, you said 370 people. You didn't say there was a group of facilitators in one section and it was everybody, it was a level playing field. So I imagine yourself and your other leadership team members were in the design team. So everybody's kind of flat, you know, there's no hierarchy. Everybody is an equal. So if you mess up in front of somebody else, it doesn't matter. And I think that's what's really nice, uh, the way you frame that
2: watching the last 45 minutes of them sharing what they had been working on in the gymnasium was magic.
4: Awesome.
1: And what kind of things were they designing?
2: Oh, e- everything from assessments to unit plans to uh, better security protocols to uh, yeah, it was everything from saving time, becoming more effective and efficient to uh it, embedding the sustainable development goals for true inquiry in that uh, inquiry unit in grade four. I mean, it was all over the place, but it's going to impact learning for kids.
1: Fantastic.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, Mike. Um, and dig, digging into these sort of practical strategies that each of you have sort of mentioned, I'd like to sort of uncover those a bit more in a bit more depth. Um, what are some of these practical strategies, uh, interventions, current best practices um, that staff members and teachers can implement to develop people's media literacy skills? Obviously, ones that maybe you've tried in your school, um, but perhaps other best practices that you've sort of come across um, from, from different schools around the world. Um, yeah, Mike, it'd be great for you to kick off that, that question. Sure, so
2: I started that already. So I'll <laughs> I'll keep this short in, turn of, in terms of practical strategies because I want to hear from everybody else as well. Uh, let me start with a micro example. So a practical strategy of creating uh, assessments that actually gauge media literacy. So it, it sounds like a simple thing, but it's, it's quite transformational when you have uh, teaching and learning teams creating assessments. And you can ask the very simple question to say, how would you measure these literacies? Now, you might need to take a step back and say, what are these literacies, (laughs) right? And and as I said, we have the resources for that kind of thing, but most of the time people look at these media literacies and say, oh yeah, I do that, that's what I do. And so a very practical strategy would be to take the step to say, well, how could we assess it? How would we know that students are actually engaging that and getting better uh, at at actually uh, deciphering the the fake news from you know what's actually fact based and that kind of thing and so when you actually have to create the assessment and you can do it in teams to actually look at uh, those practicalities they're not only learning themselves but then they're actually the next step as we talked about earlier in this conversation much more likely to integrate it into their academic subject areas and inquiries. So it's kind of a win-win-win a, a from, a, from a micro practicality. Uh, let, let me get even more micro. Um, yeah, I, I learned from a great educator. Uh, this was during an advisory. And you can call it tutor, homeroom, whatever culturally people call that block of time where that adult is like mom or dad to them and kind of looking at their overall experience. I saw a master educator who every uh, six months, They have a super fun activity where their advisor group creates tutorials for adults. And the way the teacher frames it is they say, hey, listen, I'm not living in your world. I don't really understand Snapchat. And so I want you to help me understand if if you were going to make Snapchat for dummies, right? I, I need you to make it for me because I need to understand. And then they actually share that with the parents as well. And it is phenomenal to a way to funnel into the conversation of the types of media, social media, and other things that kids are actually using. And then what it does is gets them into that level conversation. And again, back to that co-learner style of, Hey, listen, nobody can keep up by drinking from this fire hose that's coming at us. So let's learn this together and um, this teacher actually modeled an example from their childhood, which was sensational. All the kids looked at it and went, I don't even know what that is. And right, here's my here's my space. And they're like, what? And and uh, it's it just created this relationship in this open dialogue. So there's all kinds of micro examples like that. And so eventually, ideally, everything from source evaluation to media analysis and that kind of thing starts to become... Uh, more practical in in your school and more integrated in what you're doing. And on a larger, if I go macro, it's about systems and structure. Because if you really want to do this well in your school, you have to make sure that this is somebody's job. Because if it's not somebody's job, if it's everybody's job, it's nobody's job. And everybody looks at this and says, yeah, it's important. Well, who's ensuring that that's the case? And so Actually, a macro practical example uh, for us as a school is we have our candidates arriving this week for our director of IT innovation, teaching and learning. And that's in their portfolio. And that we created a team of team structure where we have IT operations and we have IT innovation, teaching and learning, and we're not going to let it fall through the cracks. And so those teams of teams, that's their responsibility to create a strategy because you can have all the resources in the world but really, in the end of the day, if you don't have a strategy to do it, it's not going to happen. So a little bit of micro to macro.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, Mike, Melanie. It'd be great to hear your thoughts on any practical and uh, uh, intervention best practices, etc.
3: Well, it, it's like a, I, I, I was saying, having um, getting students to use media products to show their learning is is a a pretty easy win it's a fun win and it's easier than it ever was now but every single time that there is an opportunity for at least a media language, at least looking at a product that already exists, maybe doing a little bit of analysis, whether it is to do with color or shape or the message that's coming through. It doesn't have to take long, but it's just a little, a little, little bit. Um, so, you know, that could be all the way down um, with with really young children in primary, the way that they see things and the way that they understand the messages. Um, If we're thinking about kind of the other end, I'm thinking about my year 13s in the diploma program, um, the examiner's reports have come back for the oral examinations, and it seems that the examiners really like it if a student is comparing their literary work with something that is non-literary and a visual. So. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, students have to talk about global issues. They choose their global issue that they're gonna talk about. Um, And uh, this year I've got students putting Frankenstein, up against um, Mary Poppins and characters who are powerful and powerless, you know. Um, we might be looking at Caroline Duffy's poetry and comparing her work to Lisa Donnelly's cartoons, you know, so and, and looking at kind of gender representation. Um, and and there are a lot of other things that they, you know, that they can talk about. Um so we we are looking at um you know visual learning and visual texts at you know at both ends of the school um and and so you know i i think In between, we have to make sure that we are building in that kind of the literacy of the critical thinking and and the understanding of what's actually happening in the image, um, or the piece of film or the sound recording, um, or, you know, the advertising, I think, or the game, Um, we have to, we have to teach them how to understand. Um, Because it comes back at the end of us, for us, it comes back to the exam system, yes but you know the exam system is getting them to talk about global issues because global issues are so important. So.
0: Yeah, thanks, Melanie. John, it'd be great to hear your thoughts.
4: Yeah, I, I think one thing that we want kids is when they go through any learning experience that they make some connections and those connections are things that they feel that it's pertinent, it's purposeful and authentic. And one way, uh, often digital citizenship is a tough one. You know, kids kind of roll their eyes. But one thing that i've done in different contexts is is that you get a group of kids to design digital citizenship lessons and then take them down to a different grade and actually deliver them and during covid we started this because a lot of kids were complaining how their online lessons weren't very interesting so we challenged them to make digital citizenship lessons in zoom and we had 43 kids show 43 other kids in year three what a digital citizenship lessons and they logged in and everything. So I think when kids can co you know construct their understanding and there's nothing more powerful than watching you tell a kid something and then you say, okay, now go and teach it. There is nothing more powerful in assessing a child's understanding based on how they deliver a lesson to a peer. And especially if it's a younger peer, because then there's some really interesting dynamics between the kind of, you know, the older child and also trying to translate their understanding into something that's bite-sized, that younger kids talk. And then you're starting to have all kinds of conversations about communication, message, perception. You're using the tools. You know, is your slide really busy? Maybe you just want one title and a picture and you'll do the talking. So we do a lot on presentation zen So I think whenever you can make those authentic, purposeful connections for the kids and they can deliver not just in front of their peers, which every kid does constantly in a 12 year experience, but actually physically walk down to another building and deliver it. Or in Mike's case, they were talking about delivering it to the parents or even doing it to older kids. I think suddenly the kids actually see much more purpose and they're much more uh, invested in it and they get quite stressed they're like well my lesson's not yet finished so it's just nice to do that and i think wherever we can make those connections and give opportunities for kids to walk out of their physical space and deliver understanding in a different context and have that human interaction you're going to get much more and nowadays anything that you present requires media literacy you can't open a google slide deck without engaging in some uh media literacy or taking a picture from the internet or whatever or a piece of music all those conversations become part of the learning
1: yeah wonderful i mean do you think there's a flip side to that and it reminds me a little bit of the uh, discovery learning stages you know the idea of sparking curiosity and then going through the different stages of discovery learning and then in a way it sounds like those uh those learners are are thinking about what it's like to be a teacher or at least to teach something so it's kind of like a discovery teaching as well so they they get very you know involved in that process so I can imagine the amount of learning that takes place not just because they're discovering something for themselves but then they're actually figuring out how to communicate that to exactly and also yeah. Where does the discussion come? You know, at the end of all of that, the sorts of debates that come about in the classroom, I can imagine it's really very, very engaging. But are there, do you think, some areas of, of um, the media landscape where teachers just would not touch, which they just wouldn't go there? They wouldn't want to go there perhaps because it's, it's, it's very controversial kind of issues or there are certain things that they're not too sure about, for example, you know, disinformation and misinformation how to tell the difference, what kind of sources would the teachers use, and then what would they encourage their learners to use, and how to evaluate those sources. Because within all of that discovery, there are sources of information. And it's also yeah. been able to have that critical mindset. And as Mel has been talking about, those kind of frameworks, for media literacy frameworks, like bias, prejudice, you know, anything to do with gender, anything to do with colour, anything to do with race, anything to do with, you know, it could be any kind of representation, but what what would you say would be the area where teachers might need a bit more encouragement, where they may not feel that confident about, you know, looking at different controversial issues that learners might want to bring into the classroom, and then how do they evaluate those sources of information? I think one thing is you know you have to think what age group are you working with you know what's
4: appropriate with different age groups so that makes that's immediately the filter that you're going to work with there are a lot of organizations MIT has a whole curriculum on fake news for adolescents 11 to 15 it's just and and you know they have this whole research arm of graduate and doctoral students that can generate really rich content stanford they're just i think For teachers, it's maybe just somebody pointing them in those directions, giving them time. And I think, as Mike said, you know, who's making people accountable for this? I think if you don't have, you know, if you just expect a team to come up with this, there needs to be some accountability somewhere where you actually have to do it. I think it's also professional development. You know, myself, I've been doing some research about fake news and uh, fake images. And one thing I start learning is that hands are really hard to replicate. So if you don't see fingers and detail nails, chances are that it's a fake image. There are certain things that is much harder to do well. And most fake news images are cheap replicas that are maybe Photoshopped or with some AI. Of course, that's going to change. But so those are the kind of things where actually maybe you do need some professional development. I think it's a combination of, you know, what accountabilities you put in, what kind of professional development and also allowing teachers and and, Mike's anecdote of having the design sprints when they're sitting down and looking at their uh, programs of inquiry that they're actually having the time and having those discussions. Because if you put teachers in a room and let them really unpack a program of inquiry in the case of the PYP, it's amazing what percolates up. And I think we sometimes underestimate. It's just that we don't ever give enough time to uh sit down you know for a whole morning or a whole afternoon uh for people to have that time and not uninterrupted time. So I think it's a combination of these different
3: things. Mm. Um, I, 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 if I can just jump in as a kind of ordinary classroom teacher most of most of the time. Um, I think having SLT support Um, with projects, like I was saying about our think tank project, there were topics, there are topics that we can't cover in, in the UAE. We just, we just can't. But there were topics that when we, we took our idea to our head, who uh, asked one of our deputy heads to oversee it with us. And some of the things we suggested we thought were, you know, quite controversial. And as it turned out, she was, able to kind of tell us, you know, how far we could go in school and what we needed to address because we had topics that we thought that were kind of controversial that didn't even scratch the surface and we were quite shocked at the things that she um, said that, that that we really ought to um, start kind of looking at and considering um, because I think, and, and I think this is, you know, this isn't just a, a Dubai thing at all. So, so we we needed to have some support. We also have been given time to develop the program. Um, not enough time, but there's never enough time, is there? <laughs> um, and uh, but we, you know, we we got given half days or a day to go out and sit down and say, right, what do we need? to touch upon, to to kind of make sure our students are informed about things that are happening in the world that we wouldn't normally talk about in the classroom, including the media literacy stuff, but lots of other things as well. Um, And, you know, like you said, accountability, we know that we're accountable, but we also have have a lot of support and we now have a lot of support all across the school. So, you know, that has worked out really, really well.
0: Yeah, and just sort of digging into this, into you know, moving into our final question now, digging into the professional development side of things. Um, Rianne's going to lead us on, on this on this question here, so it'd be great to hear everyone's thoughts as well. Um, what, what is meant by the term critical media literacy, um, and how can schools support teachers with professional development opportunities so they're able to effectively and confidently teach um, critical media literacy? Rianne, it'd be great to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so I started researching um, critical media literacy. Um, uh, about four months ago and I started to look at what is critical media literacy and really there is no one solid definition that's used globally around the world but I think to try to just answer the question that you asked it seems to be about evaluating it's about analyzing sources of information being able to evaluate um, information so Whatever that might be, it might be information coming from news, you know, broadcasters, or it might be information coming via TikTok video. But it's the ability, I think, to analytically break down the different components and the representations in, in various different medium and being able to particularly understand or at least try to get some sort of idea about what is this thing? And what is it actually? What is the message? Who, who has created this? Why is it been created? Where is it coming from? The, those sorts of questions, which really lends itself very well to anything to do with inquiry-based education. So many teachers, you know, who may be watching this might be saying, okay, what's the critical side of media literacy? And I think really the critical side of media literacy is being able to instill that Um, starting point for yourselves as teachers, but also for your learners, is to think about the questions. What sorts of questions could I ask? What sort of questions am I interested in? Why should I ask these questions? Why are they important? So around the critical media literacies, which some people also refer to as digital media literacy, but there are two frameworks that are particularly useful and those ones are the kind of you know things that I've put into the course, because I think it's very important to be able to have those frameworks for teachers to look at and also potentially to show their learners so that they have some kind of idea of where to start and how to sort of build on that knowledge and understanding. And through doing that, they can then start to develop their critical thinking skills. So anybody I think is, is interested in the critical side of things, really, it's just to do with critical thinking so that i would say in a nutshell is the critical media literacy side of things um in terms of professional development well i find that really interesting because i mean i'm a bit big advocate for professional development i you know i've learned a lot and i've really come um you know like leaps and bounds in my own in my own career just through just my own inquisitiveness about various different things to do with edu- education so yeah i'm i'm saying really in a way that for the people who aren't too sure about media literacy and whether it's important for them or something significant, I think that even just the slight sense of curiosity about the sorts of things that have been brought up today in this webinar could actually take you on your own journey just to sort of dip your toe in and have a look and see what kind of things are important. Why would they be important to you as a teacher? So I think that it's really um Something that is uh, quite, um, well, it's quite current in the sense that more and more information is coming through into the classroom. And from my research, I could see that there were two very important reports that came through from the Rand Corporation. And they were doing um, educational uh, research studies into teachers who are teaching um, media literacy of some kind in uh, public schools in America. And quite a lot of what we've talked about today, in fact, with Mike and Mel and John, that just came through in these two studies. So I just wanted to highlight some of the um, important aspects there that are linked to professional development. And I think the first one, um, the study was called Media Use and Literacy in Schools. And this was published in 2020. And what it was saying was that across all the grade levels for for elementary and also for, for secondary, Um, The most commonly reported challenge was that students have made unfounded claims in class. So they're based on unreliable media sources. And and then that was closely followed by students' shared hateful posts on social media. So it also represents that whatever a teacher's doing, whether they're teaching a subject, you know, whether it's maths, it's science, whatever, whatever sources are being used in class, there's always... um, a possibility a potential that other sources that you know not necessarily used in the classroom the teachers trying to you know ask the learners to use that they might be using their mobile phones or whatever or they might have seen something somewhere and then they've remembered it and they haven't necessarily gone through the process of learning how to evaluate what it is that they're hearing or seeing or reading so i think that's a very important part of media literacy And why it's so important as well for teachers to be able to be given the space and the time to explore what that means for them when they're teaching their subjects. Because this was definitely something that came up in the report as well, was that roughly nine in 10 secondary teachers indicated that inability to evaluate the credibility of online information was a problem, with four in 10 rating it as a major problem. So I think that's really quite significant um, Well, when we're talking about media literacy and why it should be prioritized. You know, we're talking about when when should this become a priority if it isn't already a priority in your school. But it's also about promoting media literacy education in, in the schools. So one of the other reports, also from the RAND Corporation, they talked about the different approaches and obstacles to promoting media literacy in these schools in America. And really what they're saying is is that this is a precursor to professional development and and prioritizing professional development for media literacy or critical media literacy skills. But really what's needed is a systematic evidence regarding how schools and teachers promote media literacy education and what obstacles they're facing. So this would help the school leaders and policymakers and others who are involved in education to identify which areas are of the greatest need, so I would say that that you know is also a big part of where 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 do teachers start to focus their own professional development initiatives, whether this is actually coming from school leaders or whether this is something individual or if it's a mix between the two. You know, perhaps that's you know a, one o- another way of doing professional development. But yeah, the main obstacles I think you know facing media literacy education. Um, as is, is reported to be in this um, study, is that school leadership is, is not really valuing or placing enough emphasis on media literacy. Why that is, I don't know. I could maybe ask the panel members who um, might be able to to answer that question. But c- c- certainly, there seems to be a lack of training and professional development in media literacy. That this is coming from the states, but from my own research in Europe and other parts of the world. This definitely seems to be the case as well. And and also, interestingly, um, teachers were reporting there's a lack of media literacy instructional resources. So how to use the educational resources, but in a more instructional manner. And then also a lack of expert guidance on implementing media literacy programs or curriculum. And so there's quite a number of obstacles there, I think. And that's perhaps where the professional development would be really, really important for teachers and for school leaders who are interested in trying to explore how do we prioritise media literacy education, how do we then you know, make sure that that's aligned with what we're trying to achieve here in our school with our curriculum or all the values of the school. So yeah, I was just wondering if there were any thoughts there from, from Mel or from Mike or from John about some of those obstacles and whether they've experienced that themselves in their schools.
3: It's interesting um, that, that you, you kind of, you're talking about um, school leadership. Uh, I emailed my head teacher to say that I was doing this. And, and I said, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to kind of um, add to this? And um, we, we have a, a new head um, who, who is, um, he's kind of very keen to, to support media and, uh, and media literacy in school um what he felt was that you know he 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 felt that there does need to be more kind of consistent standpoint on it um and and wants there to be more training so you know I I see that as a as a real um as a real bonus actually um but yeah I, I can kind of see how that how that works and we recently had some AI uh, training, um, and I was with the heads of department talking about it, and I think it's just trying to kind of get past um, the worries of student usage for for kind of the the, the wrong usage, um, and just trying to kind of make it something that. That we have to embrace, um, and it was a really interesting discussion with heads of department because I, I guess about half of the people who were in the room were really kind of keen to, to to talk about it and and use it and had ideas about it, and there were quite a lot of people in there who are quite resistant, um, and it's you know totally understandable, but it isn't something that's going to go away. So you know what you're saying about about. Um, senior leadership um, um, needing to kind of offer more kind of training opportunities. I think, again, though, it, coming back to what uh, Mike was saying earlier, it, it's it's about what do you prioritize? When do you do it? How do you find the time? So, but I, I did think it's a really interesting discussion. The teachers, intention is there.
2: Teachers have the hardest job in the world. So I completely understand when when you look at even getting into these media literacies you look at the topics that are floating around social media and you look at uh you know our strategy of equity justice and belonging or you're talking about sexuality or whatever it might be it is so difficult for any human to navigate it never mind be responsible for 20 other humans who have 40 maybe parents on the other end with their own opinions on that and what they're being fed. So I get the complexity of it. It's 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 very, very difficult. I'll just say one thing. To make it a priority, it's got to be linked to your strategy. And um, the way that we have chosen to do so here at the school is not through technology. It's through well-being. And so when you talk about people's well-being in, in, in being well and flourishing and happiness and what's important. If this aspect isn't in the conversation, it's not going to work for you strategically.
0: John, any any final thoughts before we wrap up? I know we're, we're close.
4: No, I I, I can only echo with Mike is the idea of putting in your strategic plan. And every time you put it in the a box of digital literacy or technology, everybody rolls their eyes. You're yeah. not going to get a buy-in. That's like, that's that that office's problem. That's these people's problem. And uh, I really applaud Mike School for tying it to well-being, because at the end of the day is how much free will do we still want to have? It's down to that. Do we want to have the free will to make our own decisions and pick what we read and what we understand? Or are we going to let somebody else do it for us and actually be kind of intoxicated and don't even realize it? I think these are major, major questions. And as Mike put it, and I think... Uh, Melanie, too. It, it's you know, how do you create that in a context of education that's so complex, and people have so many things going on? You have different human human beings, all with their opinions and and their agenda. So I think it's just, but I think if you don't make it explicit in your school learning principles, values, and mission, and then also take it away from it being tied to the computer, because a lot of this. You don't need a computer, it just, it's everywhere. You go in this metro, you go to the cinema, you go on an airplane, wherever you're going, in the bus, there's there's media, it's everywhere. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice of saying it's a tech issue or a digital issue. It's, it's about free will and democracy and free thinking and critical thinking. These are all things that I generally think most schools that we're talking to, it's part of the missions and values that they believe in. So that should
0: be in the front and center. Wonderfully put. And I think that's a that's a lovely place to, to end this conversation. It's been, yeah, super fascinating. And um thank you everyone for for sharing your ideas and insights and practical strategies. Such a huge topic. And um yeah, thank you, thank you once again for your time.